You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money. Start by knowing what you own and what you owe, and we'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demand more now. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, everyone. Surprise, it's me, Kelly Holtgren, Her Money's producer and the voice you don't normally hear until mailbag. Hello, hello. I'll be your host today because Gene Chatsky will be our guest. For those of you who are new to the show, Gene is the longtime financial editor of NBC's Today Show. She's an award-winning personal finance journalist and founder and CEO of HerMoney.com, which was inspired by this very podcast that she normally hosts, but not today, because we are shining a light on her and her upcoming book, Women With Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich, Life You Deserve. The book is out next week, March 26, and you can pre-order it now, womenwithmoneybook.com. And you'll get some free swag if you do. (laughs) And that's Jean. Hello, Jean. Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much for being here. I'm I'm very nervous sitting in this chair. Am I having too much fun already? (laughs) She looks really happy, everybody. And we're filming this, too. I know. So people will be able to see how happy I am. They'll be able to see Uh how many takes we take. (laughs) So... About the book. I know you've said this is more personal than any other book you've written. Why? I found myself, as I was writing this book, writing a lot of stories of my own life. And you've been through this yourself. When you come out of journalism and your job is to gather the facts and report the facts, you get really, really comfortable talking about everybody else. And it's easy to hide. And what I have started to do, I guess, over the last decade, but especially on this show, is talk more about the stuff that's going on in my own life. And when I started writing this book, it just came pouring out. And so you've got stories of my husband and my kids and my mother and really, really personal stuff that I did not expect when I wrote the proposal for this book. Mm, Interesting. And you also have other women's stories, too, which, you know, based off of my time with you, that's different about this book. Like, they all started with the Her Money Happy Hours, right? Yeah, we interviewed hundreds of women for this book, some in the form of Her Money Happy Hours, so gatherings Mm -hmm. of 8 to 12 women where we started with a baggie of questions. Mm-hmm. I remember right? those. On we made little, those. We made these. We cut little slips of paper, mm-hmm. and, and we sat in our office, and we wrote these questions, you and Hayden and I, and I put them in a Ziploc bag. And when we had our first couple of happy hours, we would just pass the baggie around, and people would take a slip of paper. And now we've upped our game. We have her money happy hour cards on an actual deck. They look a little nicer, mm-hmm. although they're the same questions. And what I've learned from these happy hours is that once you start talking about money, because we never talk about it, you just want to talk about it more. I know. You know, it's a little infectious. Mm -hmm. You start opening these floodgates and then you realize that it's cathartic and it makes you feel better and it makes you feel more confident and not so alone. And so the stories in this book were gathered some through one-on-one interviews with women, but a lot at our Her Money Happy Hours. 
You've been covering personal finance now for nearly three decades, and back in 2008, you wrote another book for women, Make Money, Not Excuses, Wake Up, Take Charge, and Overcome Your Financial Fears Forever. What's changed since then? I have a thing about long subtitles, don't I? (laughs) I wasn't going to say it. I might have been thinking it, but yes. It's a mouthful. Hey, we want to get as much in as possible. Uh, What has changed? Only everything. I revisited this topic at this time with this title. And and I want to say it's really intentional that it's women with money because women have more money and more financial power than we've had ever. And if you look down the road, there's more coming, right? When we look at the educational trends, the fact that Last year, for every 100 men that graduated from college, 132 women graduated, and that half of all millionaires are already women, and that when you look at the coming intergenerational transfer of wealth, the fact that the baby boomers are getting older and they're going to eventually, not not anytime soon, but eventually they're going to die and pass their money on, women are going to inherit twice. We're going to inherit both from our parents, and we're going to inherit from the husbands that we outlive. And the end result is that by the year 2030, two-thirds of the wealth in America is expected to sit in the hands of women. Wow. By 2030? By 20. Like, it's around the corner. Oh, it is really around the corner. And yet, whether we've got $100 or $100,000 or millions of dollars, we don't feel confident managing it. And we hear this every day yep. in our mailbag. We sure. hear it from our listeners. We feel like we could be doing more with our money. And so I developed this three-part plan, basically, to get the life that you deserve because now you have the resources or you soon will yep. to get you there. What are those three parts? First part is you and money. And you just have to understand who you are with money, how your relationship functions in the scope of finances in order to make anything possible. Part two is you in control of money. And this is really about using your money in tactical ways to get the things that you want. That might be buying a house, starting a business, It might be investing, big section on investing, including a part that I'm really, really happy with on investing in ways that will create a better world. And then part three is all about using your money to create the life and the world that you want. So raising your children, caring for your parents, leaving a legacy, and making an impact. I'm so excited for everyone to read this. Thank you. Thanks. I'm excited, too. And I hope that when our listeners read it, they'll let me know what they think. Yes. Amazon reviews are really, really great. I know we ask you to review things all the time, but if you read the book and you like the book, please leave an Amazon review. That would be incredibly, incredibly generous. I like to think I was a psychologist in my former life, uh-huh. even though my friend's medium told her that I was a nun. Really? I, that actually happened, yes. I don't, I don't actually think that that's true. I don't either, but that's what I was told. So <laughs> anyways, I love that you start by sitting people on the couch with money stories. What are money stories or money scripts? Money stories or money scripts are essentially your inner truth about why you are the way you are with money. And if you haven't paid attention to it, it's very easy to not understand why you behave a particular way or feel a particular way. And feelings and behaviors are very different things. But 
essentially, in the home where you grew up, there was this attitude about money. It was a feeling. It wasn't a lesson that your parents tried to teach you. Mm -hmm. I mean, many parents are very well-intentioned, and we do things like put three jars on the dresser, one for saving and one Mm -hmm. for spending and one for giving, and that's great. That's not your money story. Your money story is the feeling in the air when it was payday, and maybe things were really tense, Mm -hmm. or maybe everybody was just fine. It's the fact that your parents slammed the door and then you could hear there was an argument going on about money. It's the feeling of not being not being enough or being plenty. I mean, some people have fine money stories or, you know, yeah. money stories that make them feel confident. Mm-hmm. But understanding how you were raised to feel about money is really important because it colors how you behave with it now. Mm. And you can change your behavior, but you got to understand the feelings first. Before you do it. So what's your money story? I grew up in a home where there was not a ton of money. There was plenty, but there was not a lavish mm-hmm. amount. My dad was a college professor. My mom stayed home for a while. She was in and out of the workforce. She went back when, when I was in high school. And... I grew up with two real messages about money. One was a message of frugality. I remember vividly being on a trip, a road trip to the Grand Canyon Mm -hmm. with my family when I was young, and that we would stop at a grocery store and buy a loaf of Wonder Bread and a package of Oscar Mayer bologna and make sandwiches and eat them out of the back of the car, and that would be lunch. Because... It was wasteful to go to McDonald's. We might want to do it, and we would go occasionally, but it wasn't an everyday thing. By the same token, my father really liked to spend and took a lot of joy in spending and understood his limitations, but spent with gratitude and with a smile on his face. And I think putting those two things together— really shaped my money story. The other really important part is that I grew up with a mother who managed the money. My father hated doing it. He just, oh. he he hated doing it. My mother was a really good student in math. She took care, she just took care of everything. My mother could explain bonds. Wow. I mean, yeah. My mom had it going on and she still does. Mm-hmm. But I grew up with a very strong lesson that women were capable of this. Now, you have brothers. I do. Do you know their money stories, too? Like, do they have the same takeaways as you? They don't. Interestingly, I think my brother Eric, who's my middle brother, he's a couple of years Mm -hmm. younger than me. I think he and I have very similar money stories. My brother Dave has a different one because by the time he was coming up, my father had stopped being a college professor, started running television stations. Ah, He was making more money. And that permeated the air. My mother was also working, so they were a dual-income family. She had gone back to school, gotten her master's. Mm -hmm. And I think Dave was raised in a very different household than I was. So it's the lessons can be the same, but the environments change. Yep. Oh, that's fascinating. So we go back in time to understand ourselves and our relationships with money. An identity you find and research also shows too many women of all ages don't own, myself included, is being an investor. Yes. Why is that? We don't own being an investor because we like perfect answers about money. And 
when it comes to investing, there are no perfect answers or very few perfect answers. And we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But, sure. but there are some money questions that I can answer and I can be absolutely right about. But where should I invest my money is not one of those questions mm-hmm. because the markets do what the markets are going to do and the Fed does what the Fed is going to do mm-hmm. and it all impacts what happens in the markets, which is not okay. It's not okay. And what we hear from our listeners over and over and over again is we want to invest. I mean, when we do a show on investing, it does really well because we are thirsty for this knowledge. I think we're aware of the fact that we have this bias to safety and security as women, and that can get in the way of us stepping up and investing our money, and we know we need to get over it. And one of the things that I think is helpful is to look at the success that you're already having in your retirement account. You know, if you've got a workplace retirement account and you're putting money into it, even if you were defaulted into a target date fund or a managed portfolio, you're an investor and you're probably a really good investor. You just don't feel like an investor because in your mind, an investor is a trader. Traders are totally different beast. They make money whether the markets go up or down. Oh, by the selling of them, right? Or by the or short selling yes. or options. Yep. It, they've got a different menu at mm-hmm. their disposal. Long-term investors, which is what most women in our ether mm-hmm. are, we have a different playbook, and we have the skill set to manage it. We just have to own that we have the skill set to manage it. So I want to hear when you owned the identity of an investor. But before we do, I would like to remind everyone that Her Money is proudly sponsored by Fidelity Investments. What if you could demand more from your money? What if you could make your savings work as hard as you do? And what if that helped you reach your financial goals faster? It all starts with a financial checkup and an understanding of what you own and what you owe. From there, we'll work with you to evaluate your investment options and ways to grow your savings. Get started today at fidelity.com slash demand more now. And we are happy, very happy to be back with our host, Jean Chatsky, talking about her upcoming book, Women With Money, which you can pre-order at womenwithmoneybook.com. And if you do, there is some swag that comes with it. So please keep that in mind. So we were just talking about owning being an investor as women. Mm -hmm. When did you own it? When was the moment where you were like, I am an investor, I am killing it, I am growing my money, and my money's working as hard as I am? When I was at Smart Money Magazine, I was putting money regularly into a 401k. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's really all I was doing. I was just allowing money every single time I got paid to flow into a portfolio of investments, very simple. And I was watching it, and it was doing well. And I would go—this is, I think, where I developed this crazy habit that I have of visiting my accounts. How often do you visit your accounts? I take a guided tour Mm -hmm. of my accounts at least once a month. I sit down. Usually I do it because, as you know, I save automatically for every goal. And so I have a couple of savings accounts that I fund automatically. And Mm -hmm. when the money goes into the savings accounts on a monthly basis, Mm -hmm. I get a little 
notification in my email, and that's my cue to go on tour. And so I, I take a tour, <laughs> and I go, I go to my various investment uh-huh. accounts, my 401k. Mm-hmm. I go to my rollover IRAs from my prior jobs, and I look at everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted, there are months where things go down, but mostly because you're continuing to save, things go up. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get confident. It's, it's a little bit of fake it till you make it. There's no question. But it's seeing this success and seeing that if you continue on this trajectory that you're on, which is really just a matter of saving and allocating your assets, mm-hmm. right, you're going to be fine. Look, I'm a numbers geek. People know I'm a numbers geek. Yes. I like I like of the data. Of course you are, yes. But I remember early internet days when people started developing basic savings calculators, taking my balance mm-hmm. and taking the amount that I was putting in on a monthly basis and taking the average return and just going to I don't even remember. It wasn't Google because Google wasn't invented. Whatever the search engine was at that point might have been AOL. Yeah, actually, or Internet Explorer. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. and just typing in what will my savings be worth? Those are my favorite words. (laughs) And running a calculator (laughs) to see, oh my god, like oh my god, I'm going to have a lot of money really soon if I just keep saving. Oh, that's so good. We should all do that. What will my savings be worth? Yes, I love that. So for those listening, myself included again, we have our retirement accounts. We are investors because we have these accounts. If we're looking to take it a step further and open a separate brokerage account, Mm -hmm. you write in the book, boring is better. And I've heard you say this before. Why is boring better? What does that mean? Boring in my definition is low-cost mutual funds or index funds. It's a target date fund is a boring investment. Target dates are not index funds, but target dates asset allocate for you. You can pick one fund. You don't have to choose stocks. You don't have to research stocks. You know, you have to research Uh the target date fund to make sure you have a good one, but you don't have to research a gazillion things, and you can just keep adding to it. Index funds. ETFs that own the entire market or broad chunks of the market so that you know, okay, I'm going to put 60% of my money into a total stock market index fund, and I'm going to put 40% into a total bond market index fund, and I'm just going to keep adding to that every single month. Boring, but very low cost. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of tax ramifications, and you could do it forever. You have to shift the percentages, but it's it's so easy. There's not a lot to work on, and there's not a lot to worry about. Mm-hmm. And we're so time-starved that often women abdicate when it comes to playing an active role with our money. I'm sure that's not true of our listeners because otherwise they probably wouldn't be listeners. Right. But these are shortcuts that we can take their mind games, that we can play with ourselves. You are a very good investor if you do it this way. You don't have to feel guilty that you're not in there watching the markets go up and Mm -hmm. down. You should feel better about that. And for everyone, in the book, there is a whole chapter dedicated to investing. There is. And it lays out model portfolios for women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And so if you want to get more, a little more granular— 
than that example that I just gave. Yep. It tells you exactly how to do it. And yep. and let me just, I have the book sitting next to me. So like, for example, here we go. So for example, if you are a woman in your 30s, you're going to want to have 13% in intermediate-term bonds, 8% in short-term bonds, 15% in emerging markets, 3% in European stocks, 16.5% in international developed equity funds. I think I know what most of this means, but I'm not going to pretend like I know what everything means. But you have it in the book for us to I do, and, and, and here's the thing. You can do all of this uh-huh. with index funds and ETFs. Ah. You can buy index funds and ETFs in these percentages to represent your portfolio, okay. and you're done. Or you can just put it in a target date and fund, then it does it and for you're me. similarly done. Okay. Well, there's this whole chapter in the book, which I have already read twice because I've said on the show before, I'm really excited about taking it to the next level with investing this year. So before we wrap, I want to talk about something I am more confident in, which is spending my money. You also have a chapter about the joy of spending. And The phrase that I'm conflicted with, and I know a lot of other people are too, is money can't buy happiness. At this point in your career and in your life, what's your take on this this adage? I really believe that if you are struggling, money can absolutely buy happiness. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind if you are having a hard time paying your rent— if you're having a hard time driving your car back and forth to work because it keeps breaking Mm -hmm. and you can't afford to fix it, yes, that is a problem that you can fix with money and you will be considerably happier. There gets to a point, though, where there is diminishing returns. You know, the more you're already comfortable, the less money can actually improve your quality of life, which is not to say that you shouldn't enjoy your money. You should take a look at where your money is going and try to use it in ways that fill you up with joy. And that could be buying a piece of art that you put on the wall that makes you feel amazing every single time you look at it. It could be making a comfortable home. If you love to cook, it could be buying something that helps you with that or mm-hmm. great ingredients yep. or whatever whatever it is you want to do if you love to travel. Mm-hmm. The thing I think sometimes we fail to teach our kids is that money is limited, right? And we all have to choose where we want to allocate our resources. And we have to continue to do that for ourselves as adults. And if we're spending mindlessly, if we're just spending because it's really easy to swipe a card or to push the one-click button, we're not getting any joy mm-hmm. from that. We're, we're, we're just doing it. Right. It's part of the day. It's like, you know, your way to work and you drive that route and sometimes you get there and mm-hmm. you think, how did I just get here? It can fall into that category. But if you think about the things that make you happy, then I think you actually can use your money to boost your quality of life and boost your happiness. I love that. That was a really good answer. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are you most excited about for this book? I know it's a loaded question, but— No, you know, I know the answer. I'm really excited about getting out and talking to real women about it. Mm. And and I'm going to be doing a lot of that. We get a lot of questions in the Private Her Money Facebook yes. group about, do mm-hmm. a happy hour in my town. 
I'm going to be traveling a lot and talking to a lot more women, and I'm excited about that because I like to. I just like to see people and meet people and hear everybody else's stories because going back to the journalist in me, that's where all of the interesting content comes from. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for doing this. How did it feel sitting in my chair? And and people should know you're actually sitting in my chair. I am sitting. I know. I noticed when I came in that you went into the guest chair. I did. I'm honored. First and foremost, honored. It feels kind of nice. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. But no, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you for doing it. And when and where can we get this book? You can order now, and I would love it if you would order now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, get one for a friend. Get one for your mother. We need to spread the word womenwithmoneybook.com. <laughs> so I can't host a show without answering some of our listeners' questions. Definitely not. Now, am I going to read the questions and you're going to answer them or or No. That wouldn't help anyone. All right, let's go. What do, <laughs> so we, no. what do we have? Kelly is here with our mailbag. <laughs> yeah, perfect. On cue. Our first this week is from Shannon. The Fire podcast has me wondering, what role does paying down a mortgage play in one's savings rate? I'd love to hear Jean talk about to what extent we can count on debt reduction in that calculation. Sure, so it doesn't. It's supplemental savings. And I really believe that a paid-off mortgage is akin to having a supplemental savings account, it's wonderful. And I love the idea of doing it before retirement. But when you're talking about having savings that you can live on, you have to remember that you're still going to have to have a place to live. And that's why it doesn't factor into that calculation unless you're planning on paying off the mortgage, selling the place, and downsizing. And if you are, then that's great. As far as other debt reduction goes, it also doesn't factor into the savings calculation. But particularly with higher interest rate debt, it is something that you want to focus on because it stands in the way of savings. High interest rate debt can be a savings killer. Mm, Okay. And then for those of you who haven't listened to that show yet or know of FIRE, it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early just for people who are like, what is she talking about? Yeah, no, and the people who believe in the FIRE movement Mm -hmm. or who are proponents of the FIRE movement are trying to save 25 times their annual expenses, at which point they feel that they can stop working. Okay. We'll do one from Crystal. Her question is, my 21-year-old son is going back to college after taking a couple years off. He has claimed himself for tax purposes since he was 18. When he fills out his FAFSA this year, does he use his financial information or mine? If he's claimed himself, he, I believe, should use his own, and that should greatly benefit him in terms of paying for college because he's not going to have the income base or the level of assets that you do. And so it should help him. And I just want to say I admire what your son did. I think a lot of kids feel like they got to go to college directly out of high school and they've got to just slog through it even if they know in their hearts they're not ready for it. I don't know if he did this on his own or if you pushed him or pulled him into taking a break so that he could gain some perspective. But for whatever reason, I think it's something that more kids should do. Me too. And it's worked out for me, the more traditional means of going to college right after high school. But for myself and a lot of my friends, we would have much rather 
taken breaks and figured out more of like who we are and what we want and what we want to do, then invest all that money in making it our lives. Yeah. So. I, I encouraged my kids to take a gap year. Neither of them did. Mm-hmm. But I, I just like the idea of sometimes you just don't know what you want and you want to take some time to figure that out first. And getting work experience. Nowadays, there are so many more ways that you can start making decent money yes. before having a degree. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, I agree with Jean. That is awesome. And we'll do one more from Tara. She goes, hi, I have a question for Jean and her team. After listening to the Valentine's Day tax podcast, I had a few questions about the tax-deductible IRA. I'm trying to lower the amount I owe in 2018 taxes and want to explore a tax-deductible IRA. How do I know if I qualify? If I do, can I put the max amount in now and claim it on my 2018 taxes to lower my taxable income? As long as you don't have another work-based retirement plan, as long as you don't have a 401k, you qualify to make a $6,000 tax-deductible IRA contribution. And if you're 50 or over, you can kick in another $1,000. It's really that simple. Okay. Thank you, Jean. Thank you, Kelly. Should I do the show close? You do it all, babe. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining (laughs) me today on Her Money. Thank you to Jean Chatsky for the fantastic conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review because we love hearing what you think. We really do. We read every single one and we so appreciate it. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of the fabulous CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we'll be back with Manisha Decor, VP of Financial Wellbeing at Brighton Jones. We'll talk soon.